All right, well, before we started our Missions Awareness Month, remember we, we just barely got into a focus on theology. And I wanted to take a, a, a number of weeks, maybe a couple of months, to go a little bit deeper um, into Scripture and to our beliefs and our, the foundations of our faith. And if you remember, I think it was just the week before Missions Awareness Month, we, we, we started looking at bibliology. And we started looking at a study of the Bible. I mean, this book that you have in one form or another, either in written form or you have it on tablets, we have it on our phones. It is everywhere, but it is the Word of God. And we, were, we said we were going to look at five questions uh, for a couple of weeks here. Um, and we're going to answer those questions. And these are the questions. Number one, is the Bible the Word of God? How do we know that this book is the Word of God? There's a lot of other ones that claim to be the Word of God. How do we know that this is God's Word to us? We talk, we're going to talk about are the words of the Bible accurate and without error? In other words, we know human authors were, were used. So can we stand firm you know, on, on the things that it's telling us to do and give our lives to them? You know, because... You know, man is fallible. We're going to look at that. Are the words of the Bible authoritative? I mean, do they, they carry power with them? Um, number four, do the present books of the Bible belong there? I mean, there are a lot of religious writings out there. Why aren't they included in this collection? And number five, can we understand and apply the spiritual nature of the Bible in our lives? In other words, is this for us? Did God give this for, for us to impact our lives. So last time together, and we're talking about five weeks ago, we, we began looking at, is the Bible the Word of God? I mean, what about all the other religions that are out there, and all the books and the writings that they have, and they claim that they are from God? You know, you've got the Watchtower, you've got the Book of Mormon, you've got the Koran. They all make that claim that this is God's Word come down to man. How do we know that it is the Bible that is the true revelation of God himself? Well, if you remember last time, five weeks ago, uh, we started looking at the fulfilled prophecies of Scripture. And, and I think it can pretty much put to rest any question whether this book is from God. And if you weren't here for that message, I encourage you to get on the face, uh, church Facebook play, uh, page. You can go back a couple of weeks, and you can look at that message. Because fulfilled prophecy, in other words, God saying what he is going to do, and then it happening hundreds of years later, hundreds of years it being fulfilled. I mean, things that no man could know, only God could know. And, and that gives that undeniable proof. And, and there is no fulfilled prophecy in the Koran or in the Book of Mormon or in the Watchtower. There are claims, you know, of being from God, but there is nothing that stands behind it as a demonstration of God showing that this is the book. This is the, my communication to mankind. Nothing in all of our advanced technology comes close to what God said he would do. And then he did it. And secular history, archaeology, is constantly confirming the divine nature of the Bible. And no other book has this proof that it is from God. Now, I got thinking about that this past week, about the, the power of knowing and being sure 
that this is the word of God in our lives. And, and I began to understand a little bit what Christ said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Remember those words that he said? He said, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And I got thinking about this this past week. And, and you know, in all of our lives, the only sure thing that we have is the Word of God. That is the only sure thing that I have in my life. That's the only rock. Our lives, your lives, it's just like mine, they're filled with uncertainty, with doubt, with fears. You know, there's the stock market and our jobs and our kids and our marriages and, and friendships and our health. I mean, even trusting ourselves, we find we fail ourselves. So many times there's such unsurety in all of this fallen world. And it all stands on, on shaky ground. And sometimes it works out. But the thing is, we don't know. Sometimes our kids work out, sometimes they don't. Sometimes our job is great, and then suddenly the you know, the company goes belly up or, you know, they, they, you know, send us off, whatever it might be. I mean, we, everything around us, there's this unsurety about it. There's sickness, there's accidents, there's death, there's sin. We live today in a very uncertain world. But against that backdrop of all the uncertainty in our life, God gives us his unfailing, unchanging word so that we can anchor our lives to it. And I got to tell you, this made a difference in my life this, this past week, just, you know, meditating upon that truth. And I pray as we kind of go forward with this that it's going to make a difference in your life and in your faith and in your walk with Christ if you know him as your Lord and Savior. So this morning, I, I kind of want to, we're, we're not going to get very far. We're going to finish up question number one. You know, is the Bible the word of God? Um, you know, we looked at one proof, one undeniable proof, you know, fulfilled prophecy. I want to give you, <coughs> excuse me, I want to give you six additional ways that we can be sure that God has revealed himself to us. And that revelation that God has given to us is actually found in the Bible. Now, I want you to remember that these next things that I'm going to share with you, they all add up into the proof that the Bible is God's revelation of himself. But really, the undeniable one is concerning fulfilled prophecy. God said he was going to do something, and God did it. Prophecy stands alone as the proof that this is God's word. Matter of fact, God said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Later on, he says, you may say in your heart, well, how will we know the word which the Lord has spoken? In other words, what about these, you know, people are going to make all sorts of claims and tack on, you know, God said this, and God told me to do this. How are we going to know that the man, the person that's speaking, you know, is a prophet of God? You know, that God is speaking through him goes on and says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is, is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. 
The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, God is putting his name on the line here. He is saying 100% accuracy. When I say something that's going to happen, 100% it's going to come true. I mean, you know, you talk about putting himself out there. Fulfilled prophecy is proof that the Bible is God's word. So these next things that I'm going to talk to you about, they're going to kind of, you know, we've got that great foundation of prophecy. They're going to kind of build the the pyramid upon that. Um, Maybe each one by himself might not convince somebody, but if you add these things all together, uh, they give us great evidence that the Bible is God's word to us. So the first thing, if you're following your outlines, number one is fulfilled prophecy. Number two, I want to talk to you about the unique revelation of Jesus Christ that you find in the Bible. Folks, the message of Jesus Christ told through the Bible, it's unique from any other writing that is out there. I mean, we've talked before about the difference between religion. Religion is man's effort to reach God. And then we talk about Christianity, which is God's effort to reach man and to redeem mankind. And the Bible contains the record, the history of how man fell away from God. Man fell into sin, and then God moving in all of history to send us a Redeemer, His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to save us from our sins, to pay the price for our sins. And all other religious writings that are out there, they tell you what man must do to get back to God. The Bible tells us what God did to get us back. It is unique, like no other writing that you have. So just the the uniqueness of its messages is so different. I mean, all the others kind of follow, you know, what I think I need to do to please God. But the Bible is different. It is God telling us what he has done to to redeem us. And the claims of Jesus Christ, that, 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 that powerful truth that God sent his son to die for us, his claims... It really leaves no room for this book here to be anything other than God's message to us. I mean, a lot of other people, you know, they accept the Bible and they like the Bible and everything. And, you know, they kind of, they're okay with the Bible. But, you know, to go as far as to say this is God's word to us, um, folks, that is the truth of it. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, um, you you know, if you're a Christian, you know that name. Um, He was speaking about Jesus and about the claims that this book makes and that Jesus made in this book. And he said this, quote, he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying really foolish things that people often say about Christ, that I'm ready to accept Christ as a great moral person, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the only thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God or he is something worse. He goes on and says you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him or kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Let us not come up with some patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He did not leave that open to us. He did not intend to. 
Lewis Schaefer, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, once said that the Bible is not such a book that man would write if he could even write it. We wouldn't come up with this. This isn't the type of stories that man would come up with. God coming down. I mean, if you talk about all the ancient mythological gods, it was all about man trying to appease them, not God trying to reach man. And even the way, even the way that Jesus Christ is presented in this book, it's different than how man would present someone like Jesus Christ. I mean, if, you, if you've ever read a biography of a famous person, you know, you know, someone like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, I mean, they, they always include descriptions of the person, don't they? You know, physical characteristics, his height, you know, his hair color, you know, his build, his skin tone. Even would talk about his personality, you know, quiet or bold or, you know, intuitive. And yet when you think about Jesus Christ and you think about this, you know, how the Bible, God, talks about his son, there is a universality to the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is an appeal to all to, to be able to connect to him. I mean, you know, I might write, read a book on a, a, a sports figure and some of his traits. I can really, you know, I really connect with because I value them. You know, and others, you know, who aren't interested in sports might read it and, eh, okay, whatever. But the universality of the, of, of the, the drawing of Jesus Christ, of, of people to himself. You know, uh, even the way that we visualize Christ. I mean, in, in Africa, if you've ever seen, you know, the Christian nativity scene portrayed, you know, they're black parents and a black child. You know, in China... You know, there's Chinese parents, and, you know, we have a, a white Anglo-Saxon, you know, nativity scene. We don't even picture them as Asian, as a Jew, because, you know, th 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 there's not a, that kind of a description, and, and it, God leaves it open in such a special way to, for us to connect with Jesus in, in, in kind of our culture. And so it, it, it's written in such a powerful, special way. There's a universal appeal to Jesus and you're not going to find that in any other book, right? Okay, so that's number two. Let me move on to number three, and then we're going to move a lot quicker here. Number three, um, not only did Jesus claim to be from God, and, and he accepted all the Old Testament writings as being God's word, but if you add to this, the Bible itself claims to be the word of God. Now, I know you say, well, other books claim to be the word of God, too, um, you know, and this is where by itself it might not convince somebody. But it's good to know that this book, we didn't just come up with it and all these writings together. This must be God's word. No, from the very beginning, as this book is written, as prophets are written and, 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 and the apostles are moved by the Holy Ghost to write, it is to be God's word to us. You know, over 3,000 times in Scripture, the author claims that this message is from God. You know, terms like, thus saith the Lord, they're used over 500 times in just the first five books of the Bible. Over 1,200 times in the writings of the prophets that God is saying it. So the Bible wants us to know that it is from God. Okay? Number four, the convicting, convincing, and converting power of this message. 
Folks, this message, the, the words of this, the truth of this, is so penetrating to our heart. This book changes lives, not just change our habits, you know, change our thinking, but this book transforms lives. I mean, if you think about it, most people don't come to Christ. I know some do, but most people don't come to Christ through intellect. You know, they don't study the Bible, they look at all the proofs. Okay, it's true, now I believe. But, but there's a, a transforming, a, a regeneration that this book has upon our life. And when we read the Bible, there's such convicting power to it. You know, uh, it cuts through all our masks, all our facades, all the role-playing and acting that we try to do in this world, and so people would perceive us a certain way. It cuts all through that. It, there's such transforming power in the words of this book. And that is exactly what God's Word says that it will do in our lives. It said in Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Okay, in other words, it's no error in it. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There's a transforming power. In James chapter 1, it says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, it says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. In other words, God's word, it has an impact upon our life. You know, not when we just read it, I put my time in, now we go on. But when, when I look at this intently and I allow it to saturate my life, it changes my life. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both the joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wouldn't you agree with it? I mean, God's word pierces, you know, deep down. I can't, you know, there's times I can't keep it from doing that. I mean, I will read something and man, it goes straight into my heart. You know, some things you read and you try to keep them just in your head. But man, God's word, it goes deep in into our hearts. I mean, there, there's power in the Word. And I, I had a great example of this, and I, and I think I shared this years ago. Um, I, there was once a lady from a church um, that I was pastoring, and I was visiting that lady, and she said that she was leaving the church because this previous Sunday I had preached a message on gossip. And I had called her out. I had said her name and called her a gossip. Well, first of all, um, the, the woman was kind of new to the church, and I, I didn't really know this woman that well. I didn't even know that she struggled in this area of gossip. Second thing, I would never do that to someone. Matter of fact, the more I know about people, the harder it is you know, to preach on something because I don't want to come across as, you know, I just talked to someone and I ran and then you know, drilled a message at them because I, I, I know, you know how that could be taken. 
The third thing, and this is, this is even more amazing, is I hadn't even preached on gossip the previous Sunday. Matter of fact, we took a message to her, and we listened it with her. The word gossip was never used. We weren't even talking about the tongue. We weren't even talking about how we talk to one another. And the only thing I could come away with is the convicting power of God's word and the Holy Spirit. I mean, something I hadn't even said. This woman sat there, and I, God was working with his word, and somehow, you know, God nailed her on something that she needed to do something about. I mean, isn't that what Hebrews tell us he would do? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. It goes deep down with, within our heart. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to me after a message, whether Sunday morning or later in the week, and they would re, they'll refer to something that, that I said in the message that really helped them out that week. And I can't remember ever saying it. I didn't say it. That Often it isn't even what it was about. And I come away with that, that God, God's word is working. God is working different in every single one of you because of, you know, what we're bringing here to the table. You know, some are, you know, some are going through difficult times. Some are going through a lot of changes. Some are going through great blessings in their life. And as God's word is, is preached and we read the word of God, he just takes it and he, he, he takes it and he deals with it down here. You know, not just up here, but he deals with it deep in our heart. God's word, word is piercing to us. It's also, it pierces, it's also very convincing. I mean, how often, and maybe you're one of them, how often do you hear testimony of a person who says they were adamant against the Bible and against Christianity, but then they began to read the Bible and they were converted, they were changed. They became Christians, they gave their life to Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that what we say all the time? We say the Bible is like a lion, we don't have to defend a lion, you just let it out of the cage. And, and, and we as Christians, we spend way too much time trying to defend the Bible. And what we really need to do is just get God's word out there and let God do its thing. Let the power, the con convincing power of his word do the work. The Bible says it's convincing. It also says that there's a converting power. It changes us. And I'm going to kind of use that to go into our fifth proof of the Bible. And that would be the pragmatic test of the Bible. In other words, does the Bible do what it claims to do? Is the Bible, does it do what it claims to be in our lives? And, and, I, and again, we need to be careful here because some people all over are claiming to have some sort of subjective experience from all different sorts, sources out there. But again, the Christian experience does give some validity to the power of this book. It does what it claims to be. And obviously, if it didn't do what it claims to be, we would question whether you know, it truly was God's word. And, and we can test the validity of a subject and experience. I can test the claims of the Bible. I mean, if you were with us last week uh, during the Adult Bible Fellowships, and we had a chance to, to focus on the persecuted church, and we watched four videos of Christians who have spent time in prison because of their faith. Some of them, my word, I mean, the, the amount of years, not just a year, two years, but 10 years, 12 years, 
they spent. And to hear them talk about the strength of their faith and, the, and, and God in their lives and Christ being close to them and their relationship. I mean, you can test that. I mean, when, when, when the heat is put on in a person's faith and in their beliefs, whether it's genuinely converting or whether it was just a facade. Matter of fact, we were, we were talking about this in, um, a little bit in uh, the prayer meeting on Wednesday, and, and, and Steve Ackley made the statement. He said, you know, he said something that um, it is probably during the most difficult times in his life that he has felt the closest to God. And that's one of the claims that the Bible makes, that God is there for us. God is our comfort and our strength and to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. And so, you know, the Bible follow throughs, follows through in what it says. And, you know, it's validated by billions who embrace it. Now, some of you may, someone may say out there, well, what about the billions of Muslims or the billions of Hindus or Buddhists? You know, they've got people following them. Don't their numbers validate their claims that the, you know, their writings are from God's word as well? No, actually they don't. Matter of fact, just the opposite is true. Because of the way that they structure their faith, their unwillingness to allow it to be tested, it is not tested. It is not chosen. It cannot be rejected in those countries. That very fact tells us it's not true. You give people a freedom to choose without threat of being imprisoned, without threat of being persecuted in your own family, without threat of losing your job, without threat of having your churches burned down, without threat of having all your possessions taken, of your, your children and your wives being taken. You take away the threat. You take away the schools indoctrinating them. You take away the, the media being controlled. Take all that away. Overwhelmingly, people choose the word of God, in every free country where men and women are allowed to test and to choose, the overwhelming choice is the Bible, the Bible-based beliefs. And, and, and so, again, all of these additional proofs I'm giving you by themselves, you know, aren't, you know, don't stand alone, but all together, you know, they give, they give power to the word of God. Two real quick ones here, and then we'll end here. Number six, the infinite appeal of God's word. Um, isn't it amazing the appeal of this book? Right now, downstairs, children's church is going on. And we've got four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds that are reveling in the word of God. And, and you are sitting up here, you know, our 20s, 30s, 60s, 70s, and God's word is, is still drawing us is still speaking to us, young and old, whether you're educated or uneducated, male or female, it crosses racial lines, it crosses political lines, it, in different cultures, different continents. God is calling all, and its appeal is, you know, it pretty much supports its claim, you know, because God is reaching out to all. And then finally, number seven, and this is probably of the, new six ones I've given you, this is probably the strongest proof, and that's the unity of the message of your Bible. The unity of the message. Now, I know most of you, 
may know this, but it's important if you haven't heard this to, or to be reminded of this. Um, we need to be mi- reminded of the manner in which this, the Bible was produced because it argues about it, you know, towards it being the true word of God because it has a unified message. And the only way to explain the unified message in the Bible, that there are no contradictions to itself, the only way to explain that is because God was there at every turn when he was shaping and putting it together. There are at least 36 different authors that are used in the writings that you know the Holy Spirit moved to write things down. 36 different authors. That's 36 different you know, backgrounds and uh, opinions and cultures. The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period. You know, Moses from 1500 before Christ, 1500 years, to John 100 years after Christ. You know, 1600 years. Just think about that. Over 55 generations. Think how much culture and opinion has changed in the last 50 years, let alone 1600 years. Almost no human author had the same occupation. It wasn't like these are all Bible scholars, so they all had the same sort of a training. Moses was a politician. David was a shepherd, a king. Samuel was a prophet. Paul was, or Peter was a fisherman. Luke was a doctor. Matthew was a ta- tax collector. Amos was a farmer. I mean, all of these different authors, their backgrounds, different cultures, they were written over 200 or 2,200 mile stretch. So you have all these different cultures. It was written, some of God's word was written in Babylon, someone in Jerusalem, some in Rome. Even the nature of the book's written. You know, this book, some of these books are very historical in nature. Uh, Some are biographical, some are prophetic, some are books of poetry, you know, some deal with genealogies. And there is not a single contradiction in the word of God. I mean, this message is unified. And, and the only explanation is that God was there. God was there at every turn, shaping and putting this together. That's why there's no contradictions whatsoever. We can stand on the power of the Word of God. And if you're a Christian today, doesn't, get, doesn't that give you a great confidence in the Bible? I mean, I want you to think about this tomorrow morning when maybe you start your day, you open up the Bible and, and you begin reading it, that this, this is God. And I can stand firmly on this rock. And, and I mean, I don't have to hedge my thoughts and, and hedge my obedience. This is God speaking. It is a true anchor in a life of doubt, in a life of confusion. But one thing I would say to you concerning your Bible is that it needs to be read. You need to read the Bible. And if, if you're like me, um, I need a, a, a disciplined pattern in my reading. Or I find myself looking, oh, I, haven't read, I haven't picked the Bible up other than to study you know, for something you know, I have to prepare for, but just to read it and let God speak to me. I haven't done that in a couple days. And so there are, there are Bibles out there that you, know, that you can read through the whole Bible in one year, Or like this pastor, I've read through the New Testament. I'm in the process of reading through it two times in one year. And and there's things you can get that have what your daily reading should be. And and, and, to help help us keep focused. 
Do whatever it takes, but the Bible needs to be read. It says in Psalm 19, it says in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, they are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is what? There is a great reward. It makes a difference. That if we give the attentiveness, if we saturate our lives with the word of God. And so I just want to challenge you. Are you reading it? You know, have you, had, had you fallen off to the side and, you know, of your, your, your time of Bible reading? Do something to this one. Get up, you know, a half hour earlier to have time with God, to read, to pray. Make some time on your lunch hour. Make some time when you get home. Whatever it is. As a Christian, it is not just enough. Not even close to enough just to an hour or two once a week to come here and then to go out there and be battered and beaten by the world. He's given us his word, you know, his word to, to, to be an anchor, to be a rock to us in this ever-changing world. Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you that every single time I open this book, that I'm standing on solid ground. Father, forgive me for the times when maybe I've just put in my time of reading and haven't even give attentiveness to, to what is said. And what an insult that is to you, God. Forgive me for that. But God, the times when I have opened my mind and opened my heart to you, Lord, you never disappoint. You meet me, Lord. And I thank you for that. And so just stir within us. I know Satan is working for us to keep us away from your word, but I pray that you will stir within each and every one of us a renewed passion to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.